Welcome to the World of Foundational Horror Podcast, Episode 89. I'm Mom, a.k.a. Christina, and this is the podcast where I take a tour of classic international horror. On the main pod, Mac and I choose a genre or subgenre of horror and pair an international film with an American one. With these minis, I want to fill in the gaps of my own knowledge and find those foundational films that have influenced and inspired modern horror. The only rules for this project are that the movie has to have been made before the year 2000, and it must not have been made in the U.S. The topic for this mini is the 1922 silent Swedish classic Hexen, and joining me to discuss this film are Devin DeMattia from Pineapple Shaped Lamps and Sully from Third Impact Anime Podcast. Welcome, gents! So, Devin, do you want to say a couple things about what PSL is? Sure. So uh, Pineapple Shaped Lamps is a theater production company based out of Wilmington, North Carolina that I started with a few friends of mine back in 2010. From its inception as a Rocky Horror Picture Show Shadowcast, we've gone on to produce a ton of weird uh, stage plays and musicals, including we've adapted uh, Trey Parker and Matt Stone's Cannibal the Musical for the stage. We've done stage productions, versions of uh, plays like Bachelorette and uh wolf crush a queer werewolf play we 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 we're kind of known for fringe uh fringe productions in the wilmington area and then we go on tour every year to various uh comic book conventions where we perform rocky horror as well as shadow casts of other pop culture ephemera most recently we started doing shadow casts of a goofy movie um the quirky disney 90s uh cult classic uh, where I perform as the titular Goofy. It's a lot of fun. We basically, for those who don't know what a shadow cast is, it's a reenactment of a film while the movie is being projected behind us. And, and who do you play in Rocky Horror? I play Brad Nature's uh, resident asshole of the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Castles don't have phones, asshole. Castles don't have phones. No, they do not. As I, <laughs> as I, as I have been told many a time by many an audience member. <laughs> But Devin, I heard that somebody very special joined you on stage at mm-hmm. one of your shows recently. Um, we happen to be uh, friends and, I guess, business partners with uh, Rocky, OG Rocky cast member uh, Barry Bostwick. He performs, he comes to a lot of the conventions that we perform at where he, you know, signs autographs and, and does like photo ops and stuff. And he is the MC for our Rocky Horror performances when he's at the con. So um, he will come up with Wesley, he play, who's our who's our artistic director, who also plays Frank and myself. And Barry is just one of the nicest people you'll ever meet. Just a sweet guy. Um, and, and he's a lot of fun. So when you see us, chances are he will be there as well to introduce our, our, our crazy antics. That is so cool. Sully, hey, welcome. This is your first appearance on World of War podcast. Can you tell us a little bit about about Third Impact Anime Podcast? Yeah, so Third Impact is a podcast and a panel project that my uh, college friends and I started in 2017 or 18. I can't recall off the top of my head. And we, by month or uh, bi-weekly, every two weeks, twice a month, we discuss a different anime. And it can be a series, a film, a manga, a creator. And kind of come at it from different angles. I kind of take like a film scholarship angle for a lot of the stuff I do. Um, we also do panels. So, uh, as Devin goes to GalaxyCon, I go to Animazement. We were, uh, the featured guests at Animazement. I want to say the past two years because there was a pandemic. We were the featured guests or uh, featured panelists for 2019 and then, uh, 2021. No, we were, we were guests for 2022. It was 20, uh, 20 and 20. 21 that didn't happen mm-hmm. uh time has you know keep on keeps on slipping yeah <laughs> uh, yeah so we do panels and interviews and discuss anime i've had the chance to interview linda young and different and helen mccarthy who's an anime scholar and and all sorts of different people kind of within the industry and out about what it what makes anime fandom so important and then do panels on things like japanese film I, I'm known in the group for my love of older series like Yatterman and Urusei Yatsura and things like that. And, 
if you enjoy witches in film, we have an episode on one of my favorite witch films, which is also an anime, which is uh, Belladonna of Sadness. So if you enjoy Hexen, you might want to check out Belladonna of Sadness, which should be streaming free on Tubi and available from Arbolos Films right now. They did a Blu-ray release recently. That's awesome. Thanks for that. This movie was directed by Benjamin Christensen, who also wrote the screenplay. It also stars Benjamin Christensen, Clara Pontopadan, Oscar Striebolt, Astrid Holm, and Marin Peterson. The cinematography is by Johan Ankerstjerne. The release date was 18th of September, 1922 in Sweden. There are different versions of this film. So the restoration is 105 minutes and the 1968 version is 74 minutes. So guys, what is your history with this film? Um, I'm probably going to defer that to Sully because I have the boring answer of he showed it to me. <laughs> <laughs> so how did Sully, not to put you on the spot, how did you discover this this film? So uh, I probably saw it for the first time in high school. So <clears throat> to kind of go back to the very beginning, as Devin will tell you, uh, I have always had a lifelong fascination with witches and specifically like traditional folkloric witches. Um, I'm kind of picky and that some will say, oh, there's a witch in this movie. I'm like, if it's just Wicca, I don't care. Like if it's all like we're going to talk about the goddess and we're going to run around and, and burn sage i don't care like i want dead babies i want broomsticks claws and hook noses and pointy hats and like <clears throat> that's that's all my thing is i love like old school like wicked witches and so that appealed to me as someone who has always loved uh witchcraft and, and witchcraft folklore and and that era and i was developing when i was in high school my early interest in silent film because i had started watching a lot of georges melier's films uh i was really into like the surreal uh kind of trippy dreamlike quality that a lot of silent or a lot of early silent film has especially horror and and fantasy films um i was telling devin that uh one of my other favorites is actually one of the early oz adaptations that the oz book author l frank baum did uh baum did a, uh, a film called His Majesty the Scarecrow of Oz, which features uh, three witches, and they kind of play with a lot of early film techniques, like uh, cutting the witch's head off by using like a, a black screen. And uh, if you, I know one adaptation, you melt the witch and it's just like a, a, you know, a dissolve. Like, I think there's something about early film special effects that feels more dreamlike and more surreal than doing it with CGI. Like as we'll probably talk about like the, the witch broom scenes and in, in Hexen, uh, there's something about them that it, it, even though I can say, I know how they did that. And even today with even some maybe limited film knowledge could look and kind of guess how they did it. There's something about it that feels emotionally more real. Um, and so I first saw clips of, of Hexen on YouTube, and then later I was just like, I just have to see this movie. I have to figure out what about it. it. And I just fell in love with it. And it's one of my favorite silent films of all time. It's uh, I told Devin, it's one of my comfort movies, especially like around Halloween. Uh, I enjoy watching it. And whenever someone says they, they don't enjoy it, I'm just like, how can you not? It is, it, it's almost one of the perfect witch movies in a way. I had found it on a list of, you know, influential international horror films. And so I, I had mentioned it to Devin a few months ago that I had wanted to cover this movie, but this was a first watch for me. Um, I've seen it twice now in about five days, two different versions. And I, I do feel like it's the kind of thing you might have to watch more than one time to mm -hmm. fully appreciate it, which is not, uh, not to slam it in, in any way. I feel like there's a lot that's going on and, and you might not pick up on everything the first time. I didn't anyway. And we don't need to go sort of beat by beat um, necessarily, but the movie is broken into seven like chapters mm -hmm. and some of them involve recreations of stories. But the first part of the film, which Devin, you were saying in the version that you saw, this part was abbreviated is basically, it kind of reminds me of those old like history channel 
um, documentaries where there's a flat illustration and there's a voiceover um, explaining what's going on in the illustration. And so this might, I saw one of the reviews said, just stick with it, like kind of power through the first part and the rest of the movie will pay off. That's, um, that's kind of um, why I kind of, pref- I, out of the two. So I, have, I, so Sully and I have seen two versions of this film, the 1922 version, the original uh, 100, 110 minute cut. Yeah, hundred five like minute cut, and then also available on the Criterion Channel is the nineteen sixty eight version, which goes by the name Witchcraft Through the Ages, which was cut down, re edited, re scored with an avant garde like jazz score, and a lot of the title cards were replaced with narration by the uh, author William Burroughs, who has a very like dif- like like very distinctive like speaking voice, so. In my opinion, watching the version with him talking instead of all those title cards during that first chunk kind of improved my 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 viewing experience because I don't know it's cool to hear him talk while we still see all the really interesting like depictions of witchcraft in paintings and books and stuff and the models of the of of the the various models of different Different of, cultures, different cultures, <laughs> understanding of like the planets and the stars, like how that works. Just seeing these like cool looking dioramas of like stars suspended by poles and stuff. And there's this like disembodied like stick pointing at everything that's being yeah. described. It's really kind of it. Like they solely says, even the lectural, even the lecture stuff has a weird dreamlike quality to it. Yeah, I would, I would surely agree with that. But yes, once the lecture stuff is over with and we get to like the reenactments then the movie really like hits the gas in terms of oh we've got some stuff to show you <laughs> we have such sights to show you <laughs> first part is is like you said sort of the depiction of the solar system and also um common commonly accepted depictions of hell we have photographs of statuary paintings and woodcuts um and those are all used just to sort of set the scene and then we start in with the vignettes on the surrounding medieval superstition. And we have Satan tempting a sleeping woman away from her husband's bed. Is this the part where he breaks in like through the window? He's like banging on it really loudly. (laughs) (laughs) And then she opens her arms and it's, it's very, um, I don't know. It's, I, I just love it. And I love this, this picture of Christensen as Satan He's he's shirtless, and he he can't stop flicking his tongue in and out of his mouth, and he's just an amazing portrait. <laughs> I genuinely want to know how at what stage did he decide I got to play this part? <laughs> Were that was there a casting call? Were there aud- auditions, or did he always know it's got to be me? I'm ready. <laughs> well, one thing is that if I'm not mistaken, he also plays God in the in the scene in that the, 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 the tab the tableau in the, in the, the tableau with the the spheres and the nine heavenly choirs. I believe that's also him as God. And uh, I think really maybe what it is is as one of the essays on the Criterion edition says, he's kind of making us think about the. The, the the correlation between the director and the inquisitor uh mm. i mean if you think about like him with that metal stick that metal teacher's pointing implement mm-hmm. i mean it kind of has that feeling of when they show the torture devices in the film mm-hmm. like he is he is putting this this sharp metal thing onto flesh the same way the inquisitors are and he is controlling this universe in the same way that that god controls the universe he is he's a figure of a change in the same way the devil is and that he comes and he, he moves the story along. I think if I had to guess that was maybe what he was going for is this sort of uh, director as controller mm-hmm. and who better. And then of course he also, if I'm not mistaken, plays the doctor at the end of the film when he said, when the, the I'll, I'll say Christensen, even though he's not necessarily identified that way. Um, <clears throat> when he mentions like, Oh, no longer do we have dreams about, god or satan coming to us it can be a celebrity like a doctor and we see the doctor coming to the woman's bed and i believe that's also him playing the doctor with the the spectacles Mm -hmm. and the top hat 
Uh, I think there's just this idea of him playing these powerful authority figures. He's going to play God. He's going to play the devil. He's going to be the director in his own film, visible on camera. He is going to be the doctor who both uh, diagnoses the patient and is a figure of of in her dream. I think that's kind of like he's playing with the idea of like what it means to be a director and in this position of power to be an authority figure. We have a bit about the woman purchasing a love potion and she's trying to seduce a monk, which I thought was a interesting choice. And I think that monk is played by a comedian um, of the time. And mm. this is just an odd. <laughs> an odd little vignette to me. It kind of culminates with the cliche of him chasing her around a table and then chasing her uh, around a tree and things like that. She's she's delighted. Um, and then we get the um, the woman who who flies up into the air into this castle in the sky and she gets what she desires um, in the form of of the coins being. Uh, dripped up upon her body, but then she she loses. Uh, they're taken away from her um, by the devil. Um, this really cool visual effect. Uh, I mean, it's once once again, as Sully was saying earlier, it's like it's a visual effect. Uh, you show it to an audience now, and they can figure out how it was done. They just play the camera back, but it's still a cool effect of seeing like the coins rise up from the tablecloth into the sky. And they have the lady, like, she's running up to try to catch the coins as they're flying away. They would have had to have had her, like, running in, like, reverse to make that effect look good. And it looks pretty solid. Like, for yeah. something from 1922, to make it look like that um, is very impressive. And again, I guess we do not know what coins going backwards looks like. We don't have a, a frame of reference in reality for what that looks like. And one of my, and again, I don't want to sound like one of those people that's like, practical effects are the only good thing. But there's something about like the reversing of film that kind of feels, again, more like, more dreamlike. Because mm -hmm. there's something off about it. Like, the coin, I mean, when you film coins falling down, they're going to hit, they're going to miss her, her apron and things like that. And when coins are flying off the ground, and it, it, there's something that's a little off about that compared to if you could do it perfectly now, that I think mm -hmm. lends it a charm or, or even the stop motion, uh, demon that oh, we yeah. see that, that breaks into her room. Uh, I, I love that effect. It's very crude, but, but eerie. There's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of effects here that just they feel very much like Christensen is trying to really play with the idea of like witchcraft and also like mental illness, which is a, it, critics now will say is a tenuous, a tenuous thing to make. Like it, this idea of like, oh, well, all witches were just people with mental illnesses or the result of mental illnesses is, has kind of been disproven or at least complicated. But I think if we look at what he's trying to do, he's trying to look into that sort of weird dreamlike in imagery and kind of tie it into like hallucinations. Mm -hmm. Because I mean, we see, uh, I believe it's Karna, the witch mm -hmm. or one of the women accused of witchcraft who is slathered with the witch's ointment, uh, which is clearly some sort of hallucinogenic substance. And we see the shot of the ocean and her uh, double exposed, like sort of floating up into the sky to the castle Apollona or Apollon, sorry, uh, where there's also this, this party, and it's interesting that we see, like, the, the, the animal people and the, the women in, like, fine clothes. It's just this really interesting mix of, like, class and, uh, and presentation, the kind of, with the presentation of the witches, because we have young women, but we also have older women who are kind of marginalized by society. Yeah, I, I like what you said about the coins and, and reversing the film. Um, I hadn't thought about it that way, but it's it's like akin to the uncanny valley. Like, you know that there's something wrong. Like, you know how gravity works and how things interact with gravity. And then um, when they're not interacting in that same way, it just feels, you know, sort of subconsciously that there's something wrong. In the middle part of the film, we get the the stuff that's set in the Middle Ages and the, and the the Inquisition judges, well, just torturing this old lady. <laughs> Not to put too fine a point uh, <laughs> on it, but there's a lot of stuff that goes on in this middle section that's really pretty amazing. I wanted to highlight when she finally confesses and she 
she describes giving birth to children fathered by Satan. And these, um, I don't know if they were children or little people who are dressed in these amazing costumes, like emerging from her skirts and stuff. Yeah. Um, really, really amazing. I really love that image a lot. You really, uh, it's fun. If you don't know anything about this movie going in, Christensen does an incredible job of ramping things up in terms of like, he shows you a little bit of, of weird stuff. He's like, I got a little bit of, of weird makeup or like him, 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 his, his, his costume as Satan is, is striking, especially the reveal of him as Satan. He just like park perks up from underneath his, from behind this like book bookcase thing. And it's like in the 68 version that is met with a big orchestral sting out of nowhere. So it's genuinely like a jump scare. Um, but as the movie continues on, he gets more and more, uh, flamboyant in his displays of, 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 of hedonism, um, and, and general, just like, uh, 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 just like an orgy of madness <laughs> is what you are a witness to, like, through, like, once, once, once we really get going, because we have all these fantasy sequences with, like you said, the, the creatures. Um, we have the party that happens, um, the witch's Sabbath, the witch's Sabbath, which is oh. one of the most like, like it's, it's a very jaw dropping, especially if, if you are, especially if you're familiar with like silent film, it goes places. I've never seen another silent film go in terms of like, we're going to show you some stuff, man. <laughs> it's going to be wild. I also wanted to quickly say the last time, um, you had me on, we talked about, we, the focus was on Carl Dreyer's van, vampire, but because we were talking Carl Dreyer, we of course had to talk a little bit about passion of Joan of Arc. And that film came out in 28. This film, I, I almost feel like some chunks of this portion of Hexen have a lot of influence on passion of Joan of Arc interrogations, these, close-ups the, the the depiction of these of these friars the guy the main interrogating friar guy mm -hmm. looks a lot like one of the interrogators of joan of arc just like a big stuffy stocky dude with like bulging like eyes whenever he's like talking to, to joan well it's interesting you bring that up because this film was intended to be one of, of a trio of films there was going to be uh the, the film on witches there was going to be film on ghosts and he was going to do a film on the same Oh. And they would all cover, they would all cover similar, like, our, our experiences with witches and ghosts and our idea of, like, holy miracles are all born out of, like, humans misunderstanding natural phenomenon or mental illness or things like that. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, in a way, it is kind of in dialogue with the passion of Joan of Arc. It is about, uh, human interpretations of, of what we do as the holy or the supernatural. But at this party, can we talk about the party a little bit? I mean, there's, Please. I mean, this is an amazing, thing uh one thing and i'm not like a really religious person or anything like that but the image of the women like stomping on the cross that's on the <laughs> ground i can only imagine how that went over yeah. um, in 1922 um but then we get the uh kissing of satan's buttocks yeah um which I've heard of such things, but I, I had no idea that's where this was going to go. Well, it, it's a, the whole idea of the witch's Sabbath is it's supposed to be a cruel mockery of Christian tradition. So there's, there's the idea of like kissing the Pope's ring. And so it's supposed to be the opposite. So what's, you know, you kiss a ring or someone's hand as a show of, of gratitude and, and loyalty and support. So the cruel mockery is, oh, you literally kiss Satan's back end to show your allegiance to, to darkness. You, you step on the cross, you, uh, you make food out of babies and toads. It's this idea of like doing everything prof profane and opposite of what we believe to be spiritual and holy. So, I mean, it was a, it was a, it was an idea that witches literally kiss the ass of Satan as part of their pact to be, to gain magical powers is that they did that. They would, uh, sometimes have a mark on them. I, I, I think there is one tradition, the idea of like witches would have their own buttocks kissed. And then if you had a mole there that was said to be the mark that Satan left to show that you were of his forces. I mean, so much of, of what we think of witches and is kind of complicated by things like, like, like Wiccan, Wiccanism kind of developing in the Victorian period and, uh, and fairy tales and things like that. But 
uh, and and also, I mean, there's a wonderful scholar of of early modern witchcraft named Diane Perkis who who wrote. It's a very academic book, so if you don't like very long, dry reading, but she wrote a book on on witchcraft in, in early modern literature, and kind of also she's done research in, into things like actual documents and and court testimonies from accused witches, and and there's this idea that. Uh, witches were pagans who were persecuted or they were a healer. It, it's a very complicated portrait. I mean, she mentions a woman who was accused of witchcraft and she claimed that she would go into the woods and have an affair with a stag man, which she referred to as Christ Sunday. And Diane Perkis says, this is not a religious thing. Like it's called Christ Sunday, but it's kind of like how they're mixing you know, folklore that has been around in that area for, for ages, the stag man with the I with these Christian iconographies and, and then Christian authorities are kind of like saying this is there's must be something unholy here because it's not cultures mixing, it's Satan is taking the form of Christ Sunday and mocking Christ by using this name and this is witchcraft. This is it's just a very complicated thing that I think this film makes us kind of look at more. Again, this is also me being a little biased because I've always preferred like wicked witches in film and, and literature to like the good witch or the misunderstood healer woman who, who's, you know, trying to do good. And Diane Perkis also does a great job of kind of poking a hole in that myth, that idea of like, oh, uh, witches are misunderstood wise. And it's like, no, they were often like the women in this film. They were marginalized, poor, sick. Uh, older women with deformities. They could have been younger women who were caught up into it, but it was often women that had been cast aside in society that were victimized by, by the witch hunts. And I think that by showing the, the, the witch's Sabbath and all this sort of weird, unholy glory, it kind of, you know, reminds us that yes, this is something in folklore. This is like Hansel and Gretel or Halloween, but it's also the belief that witches drink the blood of babies and that the devil's grandmother uh, helps them learn dark magic. The, the part with the baby, I'm trying to, is that, does that come after? Uh, or we might have skipped over that part. Um, I'm not sure. The, I don't know. Like you were saying, being, oh, sorry. no, just making the, this, the baby stew and, you know, oh, uh, yeah. I feel like that was part of the Sabbath, like it, it was. It's montage. the it's the end okay. of the, the Sabbath montage, and I love the figure of the devil's grandmother is common in Russian folklore. Um, I've always loved that. It's like so if I, as someone who's not the most versed in, in Christian theology, it's God created the heavens and the earth and the angels, and Satan was one of the angels who fell. Where does his grandma come into this? Like how does <laughs> how does that work? Um, the Mima of Satan. Where did where did she yes. enter so the picture? So Satan's Mima is a common figure in a lot of Russian and Slavic folklore. Um, but I like the idea here because again, who is who's the the sort of the grand dame of the witches? It's Satan's grandmother. Don't let too many people kiss you on the ass, son, grandson. I mean, because what? it is again, it kind of traces dark magic to to the power or the the fear of older women. You know, yeah. it's not just oh, yeah, Satan, for sure. it's his grandmother who seems to be the one that te directly teaches the witches. Like, she's the one literally bloodletting this baby, right? Um, which is something we are still talking about in yeah. 2022. <laughs> well, and it's funny, too, we talked about, we kind of discussed a similar, uh, a similar thing in the vampire episode, but these early movies kind of get to set the rules on on these on these these horror tropes that we take for granted now that we like if somebody makes a movie about a witch they go in with some baggage like the audience is already going to know basically what everything entails and movies like vampire and hexen kind of get to start from scratch as far as like okay well this is what and hexen goes even further than Van vampire did like vampire has elements of like literally filming a textbook explaining the concept yeah. of, 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 of vampires. Hexen takes it a step even further and makes this sort of like pseudo documentary explaining the history of, 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 of witches um, from a multicultural perspective. Like this is what a bunch of different people believed happened with witchcraft um, in its various shapes and forms. And I wanted to point out, I listened to your, uh, to your episode on vampire and, 
one thing a lot of people forget about with with vampires and Dracula is that the I the, the the mythology of vampires is very much tied up into the mythology of witches mm-hmm. because when we think of Dracula, we don't only think of drinking blood and the undead, but we think of things like hypnotism and turning into a bat and transforming into mist and 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 uh, flying, flying and sending suggestions into people's heads. And in the original novel, it is mentioned that Dracula, I think Harker or someone like offhandedly mentions that Dracula might have been taught at Scalamance, which is a, a, mytho- a mythical school where 13 wizards are brought by Satan to this place, this magical castle like the castle of Apollon in, in Hexen, and there's a lake where a dragon lives and where all the storms and thunder in the world are made, kind of like the, you know, plunge your hands in the water and show me how thunder is made in Hexen, and the devil will teach you all this black magic, and then he randomly picks one of the 13 scholars and damns them to hell, and that's his payment for his services. And that idea is that Dracula is not only the undead, but he is also a sorcerer in some way. So when we go back to, to Vampire, where the, the vampire is an older woman, that also is again kind of bringing us back to witch folklore, as is uh, not only is this the undead, it is someone who has supernatural abilities tied to satanic powers. Uh, Dracula has learned possibly black magic from Satan, witches have sold their souls to Satan in exchange for power. And who, what sort of woman wants it? The older women who are marginalized. They are the ones that, you know, are going to throw curses at you or mumble at you in the street. And why are they mumbling? They're, they're, they're doing hexes. Awesome. <laughs> I'm into it. It's so cool. One thing I did want to mention, I, I sometimes I get like fixated on things and, and that just before this recording, I was fixated on the numbers because Christensen inaccurately says that over 8 million women, men, and children were burned as witches. Um, that number is way, way, way off, um, <laughs> according to the internet. Uh, probably closer to between 30,000, 60,000, mm-hmm. and 1,000 uh, um, were killed in Denmark. But yeah, I mean... Not that thirty between thirty and sixty thousand is anything to, you know, dismiss. It's horrible that anyone lost their lives due to you know this kind of superstitious uh, hysteria. I don't want to use that word hysteria. What can we use instead of hysteria? Uh, <laughs> fervor. Mm-hmm. Just the idea that I think one of the things that still upsets me about this movie is the whole concept of like these traveling priests who would basically show up and suddenly everybody would start seeing witches everywhere and accusing everybody and everybody and their grandma. And usually they're usually their, their grandma um, of witchcraft and just the, the, all the dirty tricks and all the ways they work around the rules they create to, to, to accuse somebody of witchcraft. Um, And I keep thinking back, it's kind of meant to be kind of almost comedic the way they depict it in the movie, but the, the, the big chunk of the movie that deals with the 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 people accusing this one old woman of witchcraft. She gets sent up to testify and is tortured and confesses. Leads to the snowball effect of her confessing. Other people are witches. More and more people get wrapped up into this whole thing. Literally get like black bagged and dragged up to see the priest. Um, all the while, the whole reason this whole thing gets started in this in this part of the movie is this guy is stricken with some sort of weird uh, illness. This guy is like bedridden. There's this man who's bedridden, like Jess, Jesper? Jesper. Jesper the printer, I believe. Yes, printer, he yeah. is bedridden with some sort of mysterious illness. And no, no, it, it, it's uh, the printer is the one they throw the urine on his house and they, he oh, okay. dies the next day. No, uh, I forget the name of the man who who is in bed sick and they do like the, the mercury in the yes, water. they test the they they, yes. they drop yes. the glob of mercury in the water to like to, they examine this yep. cool this cooled blob of mercury. I mean, like, it's a witch. Oh, okay, clearly it's witchcraft. Definitely, it's <laughs> okay, just can, science. Yeah, see, it spells it's a W for witch. Um, but, you uh, said it to W for witch, but it should have been M for wumbo or M for mumbo. <laughs> but um, uh, but the the thing that I don't that I find funny, like 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 morbidly funny, is everybody's been rounded up and taken to trial. And this poor dude is still dying in bed. Like he's still sick in bed. And now there's nobody left. There's him. 
and 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 an infant. There's an infant baby that has been left like discarded, who then gets used later as bait to get the younger woman to confess to witchcraft. They're like, you don't want this baby to grow up without a mother, right? Well, then you can confess to being a witch. And she was like, okay, fine. I guess I might have. Ha! Got you. You got punked by the church. <laughs> yeah. It's not good. It's not good. Guys. It's not good. I think it's Again, fascinating. I think it's interesting, too, that in this film, the devil and the witches, at least in the in the sort of dream sequences like the witch's sabbath and the scene in, in in the castle and things like that they're depicted as like actually powerful like they have magical powers satan controls a vast army of 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 witches and sorcerers and demons and uh the witches there's a few scenes like the i believe i don't know if it's varn or karna or maria the weaver who passes by the man in the street there's a third witch and her name escapes me right now it might have been her and uh, he, she passes by this drunk and he kind of accosts her. And then she says, you know, may your face stick in the way it is. And she sort of like, you know, uh, whammies him and his face sticks. And there's not really an explanation given. It's kind of treated as, oh, well, yeah, she she hexed him right there. That's just what happened. It's not kind of, you know, waved off as superstition like the, the man's laying sick in bed. Meanwhile, the church, the priests are all kind of depicted as duplicitous idiots. Um, they're, they're gluttonous and, and, and lecherous. And there's that one dude who's like lusting after any woman that like grazes his arm. Uh, they're kind of depicted and, and they're kind of shown as not only stupid, but kind of incompetent. It's like, not only are they malicious, they're, they're just bad at their jobs. They're going to like, they're going to psychologically gaslight you and torture you into confessing to witchcraft. But also, they're going to believe anything they hear, and they their methods are are completely pointless. And if Satan is real in the universe of this story, he seems to be the one holding all the cards compared to the forces of good. We we don't really see God. We only we we see the image of Christensen as God in in the heavenly spheres with the with the nine choirs. And isn't there the scene? Isn't doesn't Jesus like a, a double exposure of Jesus show up with with the nuns yes. in the nunnery? Mm-hmm. We see those, but we don't see any other godly power other than those images. We don't see angels fighting the demons. We don't see uh, God against Satan. We only see Satan holding power and holding court in this film. And God is just kind of up there with the angels hanging out, and Jesus will you know throw in a guest spot because he had an opening in the schedule, but. <laughs> Everyone, it's all demons and all witches all the time. Yeah, yeah, that's that's really true. Um, yeah, that's like such a good point. Well, at the end of this movie, Christensen does sort of make this, you know, part of his thesis is that he's trying to draw this contrast between what we would today call a neurological disorder um, with witchcraft, and we have um, this contrast between. Sister Cecilia, Cecilia, who desecrates this um, statue of baby Jesus and she spits on it. And she's a mess. Like she's all dirty and, and um, her hair is all, all uh, stringy and everything. Is this the same woman? There's a moment towards the end of the film that I, I, I didn't remember the first time, but I, I thought it was really like weird, weirdly kind of funny. The second time there was a nun that took like a Eucharist uh, cracker out of the, out of the tin and stabs it with a knife. <laughs> or something like that. I don't and know. I was like, I there know. was that that part just made me chuckle. Like I yes, as, as, yes. as a as a Catholic, uh, it just the idea of like, ah, take that one yes. one communion wafer. <laughs> yes, I'm sorry. It does that say is. she she desecrates a consecrated host. So yes, very, um, that was very very humorous. Uh, desecrating me. a consecrated host is a very fancy way of saying stabs a cracker. Stabs, stabs a, cracker. a cracker. I don't mean to. I, I hope well, not that just. I hope <laughs> yeah. that doesn't come off as like insensitive, but like it is literally on film. She is taking a knife and she is plunging it into yeah. what <laughs> looks to be like a tea a, a tea cake. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> But her actions are contrasted with the sleepwalker and the pyromaniac and the kleptomaniac. And the kleptomaniac episode goes on for a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, not that I didn't enjoy it, but, you know, that one seems to be uh, sort of highlighted. And talking about dual ro- roles, the the uh, jewelry shopkeeper, I believe, is also one of the priests. 
Uh, the one who takes her number and says, you know, I'll, I'll, you know, forget about this, but you need to not come back. Mm -hmm. I believe he's one of the head priests, the one that whips the younger priest. I believe those are the same act. That, that, that is the same actor. Mm -hmm. Um, which again, I find fascinating. This idea of like duality again. So as a child who loved the Wizard of Oz and the whole like, and you were there and you were there. Like, I, I love that Christensen is playing all the divine figures and the doctor and kind of, acts as our narrator and then uh the witches kind of reprise their role as, as modern figures we see uh the the woman and the witch from the beginning the woman who buys the love potion made from a, a robin's heart a sparrow's heart and cat feces is now getting her cards read by the same older woman in, in the 1920s i i love that oh this makes me want to go back and watch it um i love the guy the shopkeeper's eye makeup. I mean, it's just really amazing. It's really dark. Mm -hmm. um, and he's very expressive too. Yeah. Now I want to go back and, and, and see all the doubles in this film. Even if it's, even if it's, if it's, uh, uh, observations might be a little dated. It's why it's weirdly sympathetic to people with mental illness, mental illness for a movie of its time. Yes. Like, I, I don't know if it's, I don't know how how uh, uh 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 what's the word how um good its results are I don't know, uh, really. if the the ends justify the means yeah I don't know if perhaps. the ends justify the means all that much but it is kind of like surprising to see a movie that like takes a sympathetic look at psychosis and people with like mental health illnesses of that time time period and and again. I mean, the idea like all witchcraft is just mental illness is is kind of I don't want to say that's not the case in some places, but the it's a theory. It's, it's a theory. theory. It's an interesting theory. And the human conception of what witchcraft is across cultures changes because there is no real magic. But what do we what do we ascribe to magic? It can be things like mental illness. It can be people performing. It can be hallucinogenic compounds i one thing i want to point out as someone who again loves witch lore uh the if you notice when they fly on the broomsticks some of the brooms the bristles face the front yes and uh it's mentioned like the the witch who like has the axe that she milks like a cow and so there is the idea that witches would slather brooms with a hallucinogenic ointment and that's why they would think they were flying but there's also just the idea of Again, humans have imagination that witches would take household objects and they would bewitch them and then use them for fantastical purposes, that they were again kind of mocking things. The, the broom, the bristles come from the front to be like the head of a horse. It's mocking mm. the man on the horse, the woman using a domestic object, the broom, to not only move, but to fly through the air. And we also see the women on the pitchfork. So mm. uh, brooms are kind of the most common thing, but there are stories of, of women just simply floating in the air like Superman, of brooms, of pitchforks, of um, things like that. And again, the story of the axe, the, you know, the man who farms and milks a cow, the woman who mocks it by taking the, the axe and milking it like a cow. There is that sort of like, you know, mocking the way things are supposed to be. Now we have Kathy Najimy writing a Roomba. Oh, is she? <laughs> the two great <laughs> films about witchcraft okay. are Hex and Witchcraft Throughout <laughs> the Ages and Hocus Pocus. Yeah. The two, the two the, the last the old, word. The, the Old Testament and New Testament of witchcraft. Oh, exactly. <laughs> the first word and the last word on witches in film. Yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> Let's look at Letterbox briefly. What does Letterboxd have to say about it? And Michael Zach said, LMFAO, da fuck? I really tried. I tried watching the original. Oh, sorry. This is a one-star review. I really tried. I tried watching the original 1922 version. I couldn't make it more than 15 minutes. I tried the 1968 sound version with a new jazz score and narration. Same thing. After like a half hour, I just gave up. I can maybe see why some might like this, but come on, guys. We don't have to act pretentious all the time. It's okay to say a movie made in 1922 hasn't aged well. Jesus. Anyways, <laughs> yeah. So, 
That was Zach's take on it. All I have to say to that is, Zach, if you're listening, you can meet me in a dark alley with my broomstick, <laughs> and we'll see. We'll see uh, who is pretentious and uh, what hasn't aged well. Because I will assure you, if you if you cannot respect Hexen, you will in fact not age well. Cole gave it one star, one and a half stars. They were so quiet. What is? Who is they in this? I mean, what see, in reference to? I think that Letterboxd is just this amazing platform where just like all kinds of performance art is going on. Yeah, I, I've yeah. told Devin one of my issues with Letterboxd. I don't write reviews on Letterboxd anymore because my biggest issue is everyone's a comedian. That's like, right. It's like, wow. I, bad news is you're dating one. <laughs> Half yeah, of my but, reviews are joke reviews on Letterboxd. No, but you write reviews where you say like... I, Yes. I, I guess I hate that, like... Everyone thinks they're doing a bit. Everyone thinks they're doing a bit, and then, like... I... I'm not going to say I can't laugh at this movie. I mean, the devil masturbates by churning butter in this movie. Mm-hmm. Like, it is yeah. funny. Okay. It is it is of its time. But I guess there's also a part of me that's like... It, 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 it feels like it just... It cries out to be discussed in a serious way. Because it is a beautiful, haunting amazing film and you know to go back to the other guy i will also say that as someone who only really watched like fantastical silent films when he was younger like nosferatu and and hexen and things like that um silent film is kind of a an acquired taste if you if you you know are kind of i've had to learn to get into like narrative silent film and uh, like that don't have the fantastical dreamlike elements that are just straight up dramas or narratives and it's hard so i mean um i can see why someone would say hexen is not for me but i i guess what offended me is more like it's pretentious and it hasn't aged well it's like no it is of its time but it, it's still valuable again the idea that there are there's a secret cabal of baby eaters is something we somehow still have in the current year in you know the year mm-hmm. of our lord 2022 um and because it's important, because cinema is art, and even if it's not for you, there's plenty of films that I personally don't like that I can say are valuable to the history and the art of cinema. I think that's so well said, and I feel like on Letterboxd, a lot of times, a review will literally be, I didn't like it. Mm-hmm. And that's fine. I mean, if you felt the need to type that out, um, <laughs> cool. Uh, but I... I I have learned to say things like this was not for me, um, but I can see you know yeah. the craft the craft behind it. I'm gonna appreciate it from that point of view. There's definitely been a lot of things uh, I've uh, I've gone to I've 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 definitely as the years have gone by, movies that I don't like especially ones that I see in film fest festivals that have like a weird voice for them. Like they aren't trying to trying to make a buck on at the multiplex. It's like my opinion of them has, has, has evolved from, Oh, what a pretentious piece of garbage to, okay, clearly this movie is trying to say something and I'm just not on its wavelength at all. Like it's just not for me, man. But I, I, but I've, I've learned to accept that, you know, I'm no longer the target demographic for a lot of things. Yeah. And that's, that's fine. There's a lot. Of, there's a lot that's available um, mm. out there. But Corey Octav gave it five stars. Hexen, Hexen is a remarkable film and an unforgettable experience. A great piece of art about superstition, faith, and persecution of women. Technically impressive and genuinely frightening. The only gripe I have is that the musical score used on several available versions is a bit of a mood killer on occasion. The music is often too jolly and triumphant and a more ominous track and typo more ominous tracks would have made this the stuff of nightmares. Highest possible recommendation. No doubt the best Swedish film ever. Well, uh, (laughs) not sure about that last part, (laughs) but (laughs) it was for a time the most expensive Swedish film ever. And as we have learned from modern cinema, expensive equals good. <laughs> Robert Daniels gave it five stars. Men would rather accuse women of witchcraft than get their own shit together. <laughs> Lou Cementa gave it five stars. Ugh. Word got out, and now the line to kiss Satan's ass is around the block. The broke ticket master. 
the line. Kevin. You can't, you can't you can't get the 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 verified fan system to kiss Satan's ass didn't work. <laughs> Kevin gave it five stars. A hundred years later, there still has never been a more terrifying depiction of the devil on film. Again, definitely a wild to, a wild de- de- depiction. You might want to check out the wailing. Oh that yeah, devil, yeah, yeah. That devil got that me. That that was a that was a freaky devil. In <sighs> I want to go back to what one of them said about uh, the score. The score yeah. for both versions is very interesting to me. But I've also been a big advocate for, and unfortunately, the Criterion Blu-ray does not have this. They really only have the one score to choose from. I am a big advocate for including multiple scores of for silent films because. Each one definitely changes your enjoyment or your experience with the film. Um, I've, I've, I've already said on here before how much I love the new version of um, Passion of Joan of Arc because it has like four different score cho- score choices. And obviously, if you're ever in a position where you can see a perform a screening of, of of a silent film with a live accompaniment, go because it is. It is. It changes your perception of silent films. For, first off, people people have this stuffy, boring like they they, they get scared away from silent films because it, it feels like like homework to them. But when you get to have the experience of seeing a silent film with an audience in a theater that has an orchestra or or string players or just a live band of any kind, it it, it changes your entire perception of what silent film is. Finally, Adrian gave it five stars. The history of witchcraft is persecution of any woman who dares to step outside the accepted. Incredibly progressive for its time, chock full of terrifying demonic imagery, shockingly taboo for the time it was made. Nothing else quite like it. So I think that's fair, uh, Adrian. In terms of trivia, I liked this part. I won't read it, but apparently... The Swedish film censors um, required that a, a number of cuts be made, um, mm-hmm. which have all been, you know, subsequently added back in. Mm-hmm. But uh, the close-up of the finger being removed from the hanged man's hand um, mm-hmm. was considered pretty offensive. The trampling of the cross, as I mentioned, on the wis- right. which is Sabbath scene. Um, the shot of the oozing infant held over a cooking pot. Yeah. So what's happening there? I mean, there's like. Blood running down the like the so leg fake, and the foot. Like a fake doll, right? Isn't it like a fake doll that they're like they're they're like they're like like jiggling it to give it like the illusion yeah. that it's alive? And there's like but are, are they like licking the head or something? I mean, oh, there's God. a lot Who happening. Knows? There's a lot happening. They also they also once again they do the thing whether it's to enhance the dreamlike quality of it or something like that. There are um. Because it's a silent film, it looks like it's, there's a faster frame rate going for some of these dream sequences. So it once again, it creates this like frantic energy that looks otherworldly that only adds to the to the to the overall weirdness of, of the visuals. And I want to point out with the hand in the beginning of the film, it's probably a reference to the hand of glory, which was a uh, a, a witchcraft superstition, which was the idea that a the hand of a hanged man, which was cut off and then using the 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 corpse wax of the hanged man and making a candle from the hand of glory and if you lit it uh it would freeze all that was all who were presented to it um and it would give the the bearer great power and it was should be the hand either the left hand or the hand if it was someone who murdered someone it should be the hand they killed the person with um so i'm pretty sure because the one of the witches goes oh this this hanged man's been out a little too long we need a fresh hanged man for our (laughs) hand of glory and it's so funny. That's like the second reference to the Hand of Glory I've heard in the last like week because I just listened to this other podcast that was talking about the Wicker Man and um, the Barman and his daughter set up the Hand of Glory in uh, Sergeant Howie's room. Anyway, so the, OG, um, the OG version, the OG version, the only <laughs> version, in my opinion. <laughs> I think that might have been the first episode of your show of World of Horror I ever listened to was you and Mac discussing the original Wicker Man. Oh, that was a great, that, that was, was a great one. episode. Um, also cut from the original where the close-up of the woman's face while she's on the torture rack. But yeah, there was something about close-ups that was not done. Um, maybe until this film or, or not done to the degree that Christensen did. Um, it was sort of, I don't know why it would be 
considered mm. offensive to I think in early film there was this idea that the close up was kind of obscene or just you know just uncomfortable for a lot of people I mean don't quote me on this there's a podcast I was listening to that's completely unrelated to this topic but one of the, the hosts uh, is a film scholar and he was saying that uh for the lo- that television was really the thing that kind of normal helped normalize the close up um because it was kind of a necessity on a very small screen um i don't know how true that is because i can think of many films like pre the mass adoption of television that have you know they're famous for close-ups i mean i'm just thinking like mildred pierce just off the top of my head has a has a very famous close-up of the tears running down her eyes but uh yeah i don't know there's this idea of i guess it's it's too close the it kind of reveals too much so maybe that's why i could i could see that that would be something that's like audiences this film is literally a hundred years old i could see a you know a century ago audiences like whoa why are we seeing this sad woman's face so close yeah it's a little too intimate it's like yeah um another thing i thought was interesting was that um benjamin christensen wanted to write this with the help of historical experts but that plan fell through when he found that most of the experts um, that he had in mind were against the making of the film. Mm-hmm. So. I will also point out one more thing. Uh, the torture devices, I'm not sure, but there's been a lot of research showing that our idea of quote-unquote medieval torture devices is actually stuff that the Victorians made up to shock people. So I also wonder how, I'm, I'm not an expert or like have any knowledge in that area, but I wonder how many of the tools that he mentions like, oh, they did this is just something that was made up because uh, I, one of the, the woodcuts he shows, I think that has been mentioned like, oh, well, Victorians did these just to show how brutal the before times were. So oh. even again, similar to the, the number of people in persecuted in, in the witch hunts and, and the torture things, it might've been stuff he heard secondhand or has since been kind of debunked or dismissed from actual history. Mm-hmm. The woman who plays um, Maria the Weaver was played by Marin Peterson, and she claimed that she was the first Red Cross nurse in Denmark, and she reportedly turned to Christensen at one point and said, the devil is real. I have seen him sitting at my bedside, and he liked that so much that uh, he put that into the film. There's interesting, I mean, I wouldn't call this movie a documentary by any stretch, but it definitely has elements of what would become the documentary genre as we know it. And a couple of these like peaks behind the curtain happen in this film. The one being him mentioning the anecdote by one of his actors. The other shot is the, uh, the woman, is it, I don't remember if it's an actress in the film or if it's a crew member of his, but there's a woman who tries one of the torture devices, like the thumb, the thumb cracker or whatever it's called, the, the, the finger, the finger torture device. She's just like, Oh, let me, let me try. I can, I can handle it. And he's like, okay, here you go. And they, we're going to film it. And it's just this like yeah. cast member from the film. They just shot her like, like trying a little screw, screw thing. And it's just really weird to seeing such a matter of fact, like, that's something you would see in like a YouTube video is like, we, we found five, <laughs> we found five <laughs> primitive torture devices and we're going to try them out. Yeah. Like, comment and subscribe to see more. Yes, absolutely. I totally, I'm totally with you. Um, yeah. I mean, to me, like I said before, this just seems to be a proto uh, prototype for like the history channel, mm-hmm. you know? I yeah. Mean, there's some weirdly modern stuff happening in this film. I thought this was interesting. Uh, due to the type of emulsion of the film stock used, the blue and many of the actors' blue eyes did not register, giving their eyes a glazed, unnatural appearance. Love it. I love that kind of stuff. <laughs> As Sully mentioned, this was like the most expensive movie um, at the time. And if we equated the 2 million Swedish kroners that were spent on the film, that would equate to about $9.4 million uh, today. People who made the Blair Witch Project, their film company is called Hexen Films. Nice. Based on this movie. Very cool. Wild, wildly enough, I still have never seen the Blair Witch uh, Project or oh, any of its sequels. Or I'd be interested. I don't, I don't know why I've never seen it. It's one of those movies that just got... I was too young to see it when it first came out, and then by the time I was old enough to see it, 
so many other films had come out that aped that style. The found footage genre was in such a, a glut of releases that I never got around to watching the original. My capsule review of the Blair Witch Project. <laughs> Too much project, not enough wit. <laughs> <laughs> um, One of the notes, it, real quick, that you have is about the flying effect. Yes. Uh, and you, you mentioned that he brought in an airplane turbine to make the costumes uh float out we uh Devin and i watched the cursed films uh about the wizard of oz where they go over margaret hamilton uh and the flying effect in the wizard of oz which i the cursed films episode i have notes um because that's one of my other film obsessions is the wizard of oz but uh one thing i find interesting the idea of the costumes being blown up that way like with the air turbine because funny enough to kind of go back to hocus pocus to get that effect for that movie the costumes were made out of a very, very, very thin silk that caught air very easily. And, and I listened to a, a, a interview with uh, Mary Boat, who's the costume designer, and she said, oh, you actually cannot make that costume anymore because the fabric was outlawed because it was so flammable. Uh, so the idea of like, we've been trying to perfect the witch on the broom thing for ages is very funny to me. It's like we almost, we, we threw Margaret Hamill's Hamilton stunt double off of a of a broom before we just decided to use it with ink. Uh, we, you know, had these poor old women in these heavy costumes blown with an airplane turbine to get <laughs> this. Uh, we can legally no longer make the 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 effect as they did Hocus Pocus because it's a fire hazard. Uh, I think that's very funny. If I'm not mistaken, the first witch on a broom in film is Georges Millet's uh, Carabas the Fairy, which shows. Uh, a witch on a broom, and I think he used a very similar uh, effect that Christensen does. That is the you know the sort of double exposure of you know black background witch on a broom over uh, like how Christensen has the model village. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very very cool. <laughs> so funny, can't get it right. I also had seen footage from this film in another movie by the experimental documentarian uh, Rodney Asher, the guy who did Room 237, the, the, the film about shining theories. Um, one of his early short films was a short called The S from Hell. And it I've was seen a, that. It's really good. I love it a lot. I'm a fan of Rodney Asher's. And also, it was a popular short at the Kukuloris Fest Festival because Wilmington, North Carolina, is the home of Screen Gems, uh, the Screen Gems Studios. And The S from Hell is a short about the history of the Screen Gems logo that would show up on... Which is this really weird, <laughs> otherworldly, like, electronic score that would play when the Screen Gems logo would show up uh, on screen after uh, re- reruns of old TV shows. And Rodney Asher found a bunch of people who, as kids, were traumatized by this creepy production uh, logo um, and they basically, the movie is shown a series, you just hear a series of phone calls he has with these people about their various trauma from this weird Screen Gems logo. And they, one, one of the women is like, it sounded like the music that played sounded like the music of Satan or something. And they, they play the Screen Gems music while showing the footage of, I want to say it's footage from Hexen. I'm it is I'm, footage. I hope Hexen. I'm right. It okay. is. It's yeah, the scene footage. of the Witch's Sabbath and we see the one demon blowing on a trumpet or something yeah. and they, they, Put that over the 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 screen gems noise, which is very weird. It's a very sound. weird sound. I know people have their opinions on Room Two Two Thirty Seven. I per I for one think it's a really a really interesting film. But regardless of what you think about that film, the S from Hell. I think it's on on. Um, Vimeo. I think I saw it on YouTube. I it's mean, either on YouTube or, or Vimeo. It's very short. It's a lot of fun and it's nice and short. <laughs> like, isn't it just like out. ten minutes or something? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's pretty brief. Whoa's, thanks for tuning into this mini. I am really having fun with this series, and I hope you are too. Coming up on the main show, it's Max Pick of Genre, and he has chosen Zombies. Watch Along or Whoa's can catch Train to Busan on Peacock, Tubi, Pluto, and Shudder, and Night of the Living Dead on HBO Max, Prime, and Paramount+. Plus. We are also very excited to announce that Martin and Boaz from the Film vs. Film podcast will be joining us to discuss their... It means the world of horror to me pick Last Night in Soho. We will be getting the whole squad together for that one. 
Get in touch and let me know how you feel about this series and if you have any suggestions for these minis or the main show. Devin, Sully, anything you'd like to plug or promote? Uh, sure, I'd love to. I'd love to plug something. If you are uh, listening to this and you are in the Columbus, Ohio area, Pineapple Shaped Lamps will be coming to you for Columbus Galaxy Con. It is a three-day comic book convention um, in the Columbus Convention Center. Um, we are going to be performing Rocky Horror, our aforementioned Goofy Movie Shadowcast. We also do improv shows as well as an entire uh hour long sketch comedy show all original material all making fun of pokemon uh, we do an entire pokemon sh- sketch comedy show called gotta sketch them all so we'll be doing that uh in columbus and then um if you are in the wilmington north carolina area our our hometown um next year the at the start of february we will be uh, doing our first musical since 2018. We have not done a full stage wow. musical in a very long time. Um, the musical we have chosen for next year is You're a Good Man, Charlie Brown. Our uh, One of our board members, Kevin Lee Y. Green, is going to be uh, directing that show. And I, as someone who's never seen You're a Good Man, Charlie Brown, but is in love with Peanuts and the whole cast of characters, I am very excited to see this production. Sally? Yes, so if you want to listen to me and my friends on Third Impact Anime, you can go to thirdimpactanime.com and you will find uh, links to all of our podcasts and, and archive of our interviews, uh, a full list of the panels we do at conventions, and uh, I don't think we have any cons coming up, uh, at least not any that I'm going to. And our most recent episode was we did a collaboration with the Sideburns and Cigarettes uh, podcast to discuss uh, Lupin the Third uh, Goodbye Partner film. So uh, I know that we're really excited about that because our resident Lupin fan, Bill, I'm also a big Lupin the Third fan, uh, but Bill beats me. He he got to interview Drew and Emma from that podcast and discuss their love of, you know, our favorite monkey-faced thief. So... Mm-hmm. Uh, that's our, as of this recording, our latest episode. So, uh, yeah. That sounds great. Thank you guys so much for joining me for this conversation. Remember, Wohos, we love you. And don't go into the basement. <laughs>